Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Into the corner, in front of shot, stops! Thompson down with the pads, stops to break it! What a stop from Thompson! Top of Tarantula, wrist shot, scores! Vegas ties it again! 4-4, 10-20 to go, third period! The goalie has now lost his stick, Wah looks up, Taps it back to Donov in the middle. He shoots. He scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime. Wah sets up to Donov. Knights five. Blackhawks four. Incredible comeback win for Vegas. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. I'll tell you when the Knights when the Knights make the playoffs and they win a series, and if the Danoff closes out the series, we do have to get someone, Dan Duva, maybe it could be Lawless, Sean McDonough, just just screaming just daddy over and over again. Would anyone like to try right now? Ari, you want to jump on the mic and just scream daddy six times? Uh, no, but I'll text Dan Duva. <laughs> it's Can't all be- who's your daddy. Come on. I feel like it's been used already. Every bad pun has been used already. It's the whole idea. So you want a Who's Your Daddy chant? Want to bring no, it back? No, I want someone. No, if, no, if, if Giddy Dodonoff scores the winning goal to send the Knights to the playoffs. Daddy, right? daddy, daddy, daddy. Who's your daddy? That's why I don't do play-by-play for hockey right there. Daddy likes it. I would have botched it. I would have botched it big time. All right, big five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. You know, things happen. You just Someone will say something, you look at them, you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, we're, you're just asking for it. Uh, I saw our good buddy Mike Romalo this morning over at the uh, football facility, UNLV football, the Fertitta practice fields. And uh, before we talked to Marcus Arroyo and company, we were talking a little bit of hoops and, and uh, Mike Romalo was mentioning, oh, you know, transfer portal, going to be getting some guys out of there. And no one specific, but he's like, well, at least we know it's going to be a real calm offseason. Uh, no one will be leaving from UNLV. And then within within 90 minutes, I don't know if he's gone, but Donovan Williams, who is one of the more promising players that UNLV has, we think, going into next year, has put his name into the draft process. Now, we see players do, do this all the time, right? Like Hunter Maldonado is going to do it. I think David Roddy will probably do it in the conference. Wyoming, Colorado State, respectively. What do you think of this one? Uh, he assigned with, uh, as they call it, an NCAA certified agent, so he does retain his two years of eligibility. What do you think happens here, Candy, with Donovan Williams? It's hard to know whether we should treat any of this stuff differently than putting your name in the transfer portal, right? All of this one-foot-out stuff kind of feels like the way of college basketball now, and I'm not mad at it. If you want to know what your worth is, you either have to put your name in the transfer portal or put your name in the draft process. So Donovan Williams puts his name into the process. Here's the number, Steve, that to me, this is the number you have to know. There's only one number about Donovan Williams that matters. 190. He weighs 190 pounds. That is not an NBA-ready body. No matter what you did scoring at UNLV, and let's give credit to Donovan Williams, he improved offensively from his sophomore year at Texas to his junior year at UNLV. Donovan Williams was, while he was healthy, a very solid number two offensive performer for this team. So if he wants to find out what he needs to work on, 
kind of the same way Bryce Hamilton did last year? Yeah, that makes sense to me. If he has any thought that he is a legitimate NBA draft pick at the size that he is right now, and given the inconsistency that we saw, I would be very surprised if that happens. Give me a percentage. Return doesn't return. Donovan Williams. I'll put it at 60% returns because the transfer portal is still alive and well as it is at all times. So what if you're Donovan Williams, Steve? What if you're Donovan Williams and you get some feedback in the draft process that says, you know, what you really need is you need to be playing against some better players. You need to be playing against better players. These cats that you're playing against just aren't the kind of competition that you need. I'm going to go I'm going to go 50-50, but you do, you do realize it's it's not it's not NBA UNLV and that's it. So I realize it because I said it. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I listen, I realize that sometimes my cat like quickness is too much for you. But I, I, I get it. I get it. I get okay. it. But th- this this uh, this certainly does open things up for Donovan Williams to go in lots of different directions. Number four. You know, the football practice today, uh, spring practice, first day they're out there throwing Harrison Bailey is one of the new quarterbacks Doug Brumfield is back he said he's completely healthy that his uh, broken back has healed Cameron Friel suffered a lot of injuries in a freshman year that was uh, crazy up and down and listen they weren't even expecting him to play last year but he was forced into action and had to gut it out at the end of several games and did a pretty good job and actually won the offensive uh, freshman of the year in the Mountain West Conference then they go out and get this Harrison Bailey a transfer in from Tennessee uh, interesting prospect highly recruited guy uh, and as he told us Marcus Arroyo when he was back at Oregon developed a relationship with one Harrison Bailey had a, a previous relationship with coach Arroyo when he was at Oregon I don't know he kind of just ever like grew ever since then and um, when I hit the portal he was one of the first people to hit me up and um, went through the whole recruiting process and I felt like I could be most successful with him um, personally and as a team we could win a lot of games He's really helped me like become more vocal. I, like I used to be in the past, just very laid back. You know, would let um, let things unfold. Um, now nah, he's really helped me like be more vocal and more outgoing and more motivating. If that makes sense. I think Coach, Coach Arroyo, one of the first things he came at uh, came at me when he was recruiting me was that he was gonna push me to be the best player um, that I could possibly be. And uh, even the first day, he, uh, he he lit into me a little bit to start practice, and uh, I needed it though. I needed it. He. Uh, he made, a, he made that promise to me, and he, he stuck with it from the meeting room to just even seeing, around, seeing me around the facility to the practice field now, and uh, it's been good. Very humble and blessed to be up under. Well, that's why you transfer, right? You want opportunity, and you also want maybe a new look from a coaching standpoint. Uh, here he talked about uh, the proverbial fire hose, as we hear from coaching staffs all the time. You know, they're, they're trying to learn the offense through a fire hose. I would say it's probably the hardest offense that I've learned. Um, it would be my third offense in three years, so complicated. But it's uh, very explosive. No, we're going to score a lot of points. There's an answer to everything, if that makes sense. So there's not a look that we can get that we don't have an answer for and that we're not in the best position um, to be successful on that play. Candy? That is a terrifying statement. <laughs> that is an absolutely terrifying thing to hear out of a quarterback transferring from Tennessee to UNLV. Did we have enough problems at the quarterback position last year that the last thing you want to hear 
is this is the most complicated offense I've ever been a part of. It, it cuts one of two ways. Either Marcus Arroyo is running something way the hell over his quarterback's heads, or the kid he brought in thinks it's super complicated, and it's really not. Either way, it doesn't sound great to me. Well, it could be a third thing. There's plenty of time, and they're trying to put in a lot of advanced offense. And again, he's getting it through the fire hose. He did He did say this about the receivers working with him so far at UNLV and comparing him to the guys at Tennessee. Man, they're good. I was telling them, like, after uh, I think our third throwing session, but I was telling a few of them, like, man, they're, they could, they would come to my, my old home and, and start instantly. They're, uh, they're that good. But um, as a group, probably one of the strongest I've ever been with. Okay, there you go. And again, Candy, I you know I know it's 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 cool to get all worked up, but you're you're talking about a twenty something here, his first time in front of the Vegas media. Some sometimes, sometimes things can be a little bit exaggerated. I, uh, yes, absolutely. I know what it's like to be in front of Mike Gramala and Steve Cofield for the first time. Sometimes your juices just get flowing, and you say things you would never otherwise say, like that Mountain West receivers could start at an SEC school. Stop it. My God. I actually think that does happen. Yes. Okay. Kids don't always come across with a clear message. Frankly, if we wanted to, I could sit here and break down a lot of the adults who are new to the market. I sit and listen to what they say, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. So sometimes the spoken word is tough. I will defend Harrison Bailey. He seemed like a nice kid. We'll get a chance here at, you know, 14 practices or so to, to get a look at him. And I think what, what you get here is a quarterback room that is – more talented than it was, say, you know, four or five years ago. At least all the guys have prototypical size. And, you know, Cameron Friel looked bigger and stronger. I'd say Bailey is probably 6'4". Um, and probably a good 225. So he's got the prototypical size. And Friel got bigger. And, uh, you know, the, I think – I don't want to say this without watching a lot of Bailey. But still, from a toolsy standpoint, Brumfield is the most intriguing guy. But it's a matter of staying healthy. And I, I tried to ask him a couple times today about his running style. Because Marcus Oreo mentioned last year, you know, part of being a quarterback is to run and be dangerous, but also protect yourself. And he said repeatedly that, you know, Doug can't run high. So I think that's going to be one of the things they improve on. The biggest thing is to make sure they at least have three healthy options or two healthy options throughout all of this coming season because they can't go through what they went through last year, which just got it got crazy. I mean, middle of the season, you're like, my God, can Tate Martell get healthy so he can play? But he couldn't get healthy. So even like even the guy who was the fifth stringer couldn't catch any luck and get healthy. Number three. Number three. So the NFL is going to change the overtime rule. Now both teams will get a chance for possession in overtime, but only in the playoffs. And the owners didn't want to support the regular season thing. Doesn't this kind of reek of, then why do it? If you're not all in for the importance of both the regular season and the playoffs, then don't do it. What is another sport, Steve, where the rules change in the playoffs? Hockey, right? We can we go back from the three-on-three three in the shootout. We go back to traditional play a full period. Uh, in baseball, what we did last year was we went from the stupid ghost to playing regular baseball in the playoffs. So what the NFL is going to do is they're going to put the trick version in the playoffs? That doesn't make any sense to me. Look, I don't like the move in the first place. If you want... You want to win, play defense. That's it. And I realize what the small sample stats say, that since we went to this version of overtime, that in the playoffs, teams that have won the coin toss have won 10 out of 12 games. Great. That's because you get to the 
this point of the season and you have great offenses. I get it. But at the same time, why is it that we are changing the rules to make it so that getting a defensive stop doesn't matter? I, it, I, don't, I don't get it, Steve. I don't. I understand the rule when it was switched to field goal because the idea of only having to get about 30 or 40 yards and then kick a field goal and the game's over. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I understand that that's not the real thing. But you go down and score a touchdown? Why shouldn't you win the game if you get the ball and go down and score a touchdown? That is the fundamental part of what football is. Do you hate the college overtime? College to me is, no, I don't hate college overtime, and it's a different situation with college, right? Uh, with the depth of college rosters, uh, you could end up playing forever and ever and kill the product in college in a different way from the pros, I think. Number two. So we're getting a different feeling with this management group with the Raiders, right? Dave Ziegler actually is the GM. For you, that's refreshing. I love it. I love the fact that we don't have to manage in sound bites anymore, right? What what was the last regime? We had to try to decipher whatever code came out of Gruden to know what he meant. We're going to pound the table for Derek Carr. He's our guy right now. No. No is we're hearing from a very sober GM who has a clearly defined role as only the GM he is saying very, very boring things about, well, I mean, negotiations are, are very personal and they're personal to everyone involved. I want him to sound like an HR wonk because in the end, that's what the general manager is. He is the HR wonk when it comes to these things. So that's fine. I like it. I like the fact that Dave Ziegler has one job and that is to manage the roster and coaching staff of the Las Vegas Raiders as opposed to John Gruden who had a de facto job handed to him by Mark Davis of touch your scepter with anything you like. Touch your scepter with anything you like. I think that's, that's actually how he made personnel decisions as well as <laughs> looking at a crystal ball with not a whole lot of information. And, and you know, as we've been joking, uh, Ziegler is more of a, you know, very kind of business minded, right? You're not going to get a lot of fluff out of him. But if you, if you really listen to what he's saying here, you can tell the work has been put in, and it's been put in going back to the Patriots days. Uh, a conversation with folks over at the RJ, and thanks to uh, Heidi for bringing this in over on Raider Nation Radio 920. He talks about the the interest and in, you know, the acquisition of uh, Rock Yassin. Yassin was a guy that I did some work on in New England um, before the draft and, and went out to Temple and spent time with him there and really got to know, I'd say, the person and the football the, like the, the person in terms of personality, but then also like the football intelligence piece and just got to know the player. And so um, we liked him coming out. We've watched him from afar, watched him develop, watched him grow. Uh, and he's still in a young ascending player. And so anytime you can get a young ascending player, especially at that, another premium position, like you can't have, you can never have too many corners, too many guys that can cover. He's right on that. And uh, there were times I felt with the previous management team that maybe they really didn't know some of the players they certainly were drafting and some of the guys who were bringing in. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear they missed on a lot of bad people because the back the back work wasn't done. Now, this one's interesting. He does have some positive things here to say about second-year player, offensive lineman who didn't work out a tackle, uh, you know, tried guard, Alex Leatherwood. It's a, it's a valuable experience that he's went through um, because he's got he's had the opportunity to play 
um, different positions. And and uh, and again, you learn things from going through that. When you're you know used to playing on one side and you move to the other side, that's another transition that you have to go through. And so again, Alex is a young, talented player. Got to play a lot of snaps last year, which was really valuable for him. And we're excited to excited to work with him and kind of kind of just let him carve out his path, you know, and let him carve out what he does best and then kind of see where it goes from there. Uh, my guess is we know, you know, the Belichick and the Belichick team, they have a relationship with Saban. I would guess that they had looked at Leatherwood when he was in New England and they liked some of the things they saw. I mean, I think that has to be the case. Not, not that you would give up on him going into a second year, but whatever. Um, I thought the other great thing, that Ziegler said is he was aware of the overreaction by a lot of Raiders fans saying, hey, you're not doing anything. You're a clown. Kind of made jokes about it. That he was getting memes about, you know, being freaking lost at the wheel. Um, he also addressed the way free agency works. You have to be patient. You can't freak out. And when it came to the offensive line candy, he said, listen, the market went a different way. So then we had to make some different decisions, which means they didn't panic and overpay for someone. You're absolutely right. They did not overpay for someone. They re-signed two well below average players, <laughs> which hopefully for the yeah. Raiders means that those are depth players, that they are not right. starters again. Jermaine Illuminor was not supposed to start last year. Right. Brandon Parker was not supposed to see as many snaps. There was no Richie Incognito, which was never the plan. As for Alex Leatherwood carving out his own path, why in the hell are we talking about a first round draft pick as though what the plan should be for him is to go on a gap year and see what he likes. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Stick around. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. The time, 18. Shot, Jordan. Michael Jordan, 14 seconds. Look for it, look for Sleepy Floyd. Look oh, he threw it to the wrong man. North Carolina has won the 1982 NCAA championship. The ball is There you are. Title games of the past. Oh, yeah. My God, what a disaster in that Georgetown, North Carolina game. What a disaster. Billy Packer, I mean, just stepping all over Gary Bender. Um, it's funny, when you watch that play, Michael Jordan makes the uh, J from the left side. Fred Brown comes down the floor, gets discombobulated. One of the great things about the play on his uh, basically the free throwaway, and they didn't get a final shot to James Worthy, is James Worthy completely overplayed on defense, like horrific on defense, and then benefits because he's just standing there near midcourt. I was, I was watching it again today. I'm like, that was really bad defense. That set up a, a five-on-four situation with like 12 seconds left. What are you doing, James? Oh, okay, here's the ball from Fred Brown. And that's been Grandpa Cofield's <laughs> look back to the 1980s of the NCAA well, tournament. I, brought I just, to you by one-a-day vitamins. Watch, I love to watch old highlights because people are like, back in my day, yeah, back in your day. And that was my day, too. But James Worthy made, that was actually a terrible defensive play. He overcommitted, but Fred Brown just got screwed up and, um, clearly that was, that was one of the great NCAA moments in uh, title game, you know, history. And, you know, if people didn't know Michael Jordan, that was the beginning of his amazing run as the king of freaking basketball. Right. Um, I actually, I, I don't, I don't know that I, I'm sure someone has written a book about that team or, or maybe Jordan has talked about it. I, I wonder how vocal he was on that team, like in terms of his personality, when it really came to the forefront, 
because that was a team that had some really strong personalities uh, like James Worthy and Sam Perkins. And you heard Jimmy Black in the highlight and Kenny Smith was on the roster. I, I wonder when it, it clicked for him. And with every team, it's a little bit different. Like we were just playing the quarterbacks. We we're playing some uh, some audio from one of UNLV's new quarterbacks, a Tennessee transfer in Harrison Bailey. And he, you know, he's, you can tell he's a little bit shy, you know, and he said, hey, coach is trying to get me to come out of my shell. And, and Cameron Friel, last year starter for most of the year, he's kind of quiet. Um, Brumfield is still kind of quiet, you know, but people are different. People are different in the locker room. And you, you saw something kind of interesting when the Knights were talking about who had to step up or who did step up to infuse some energy when things were going so badly in that Blackhawks game. You know, it's not something I want to overreact to entirely. It just jumped out as a little bit strange to me. So they get Alec Martinez back. And there's been no question that Alec Martinez has been the most valuable member of that defense core for the last couple of years when you factor in Petrangelo's bad start in his first season. But when they're down to the Blackhawks and on the verge of losing a game that might just push them out of the playoff race, Alec Martinez said after the game that he voiced his displeasure, we'll say, in the locker room, that he got a little fired up before the third period. Good. He's a veteran player. He's a two-time Stanley Cup winner. He scored the winning goal in a Stanley Cup final. Like, Alec Martinez has every place to do that. What I guess is interesting to me, and we haven't heard all of this from the Golden Knights as to who has filled the void for Mark Stone as the captain of this team, but you have multiple former captains on this roster in Alex Petrangelo, in Max Pacioretty, in Jack Eichel. Now, not all those guys have been in the locker room all year long, but... Why is it Alec Martinez being the one to speak up? And not so much why is Alec Martinez speaking up? I get why he's speaking up. But why now, at this point of the season, are we talking about the fire it up speeches? Doesn't it seem a little late for that? Doesn't it seem like the fire it up should have come two or three weeks ago when this team was coming out after the game and saying, yeah, you know, we, we realize we're not taking care of business, right? Pete DeBoer wasn't turning over tables in front of anybody. <laughs> and when we look at Alec Martinez being the one to step up, I just, I look at this Vegas roster and I see so much experience in terms of being a captain and being the guy in front of the room that hearing that Martinez was the one speaking up just kind of makes me wonder, well, who else was? Who else was getting in there? Might want to see a little more of it. More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios. I think we have a good plan moving forward, but that'll be an evolution. Until we know that final answer, it's, it's really speaking in hypotheticals right now. You have to be ready, uh, whatever decision is made, uh, potentially to go with Jacoby for a portion of it or not. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Kevin Stavansky on the way back. That's an interesting situation we want to get into. Let's bounce around to what's happened the last couple of weeks, especially with the uh, the quarterbacking and all this GMing, right? We've been raving today about the Raiders GM and what Dave Ziegler has uh, has done and what he's saying. We're uh, we're glad that he's not puff the chest out guy. Just seems very businesslike, and I think the Raiders needed that. Amber Thea Harris covers the NFL for Westwood One and SiriusXM, and she's nice enough to give uh, Steve and Adam here in Vegas a couple of minutes. How are you? Hey, Steve. Hey, Adam. What's going on? What's up, Vegas? My favorite city. Yeah, lots going on. (laughs) How come Vegas is your favorite city? Because you get a chance to come here in a month or so. I mean, I was there for, I've been there twice in the past month because I was there for um, Pro Bowl. 
And then right after that, I flew, you know, L.A. is just, you know, we're a hop, skip, and a jump. So I flew back to actually see Metallica. <laughs> at uh, yeah! Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so it was great. So it was on Metallica, and then I'll, I'll be heading back for Westwood One for the draft. So, you know, I, I love that you guys have a new stadium. There's a lot of NFL uh, happenings. You guys are going to have Super Bowl. I can't wait. Well, some of us are liking what the Raiders are doing to this point. Uh, others, are, you know, are still critical, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, what's your reaction to what the Raiders have done so far? They don't have Carr done yet, which I think is going to be a big thing coming up, but, you know, bringing in Chandler Jones and then making the blockbuster deal for Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got to start with Devontae Adams, um, which, which shocked everybody because essentially nobody really knew that Devontae Adams was unhappy. Now that I talked to some friends in the business that are former Packers or that I've worked with um, as analysts, I think they knew he was unhappy, but they ultimately thought that he would go back to the Packers. Um, but that's not what happened. Uh, they put the tag on him, and um, you know, we, the news comes out that he's a Raider, which it's not shocking if you know the history between him and Derek Carr. I mean, clearly they played together. They consider each other family. He says he wanted to play with Derek again. But I think for, for people on the outside looking in, he picked Derek Carr essentially over Aaron Rodgers. And that is bizarre to some people, that you have a chance to catch passes from one of the best quarterbacks of all time, a future Hall of Famer. And, you know, you go with Derek Carr, who I know he's close to and comfortable with. But, you know, I don't know how the Vegas reaction was, but from the outside looking in, that was a little bit bizarre. But it's a great get for the Raiders. Um, I would have liked to see them do a little bit more with the offensive line, but I like what they're doing. You know, locking up Max Crosby was huge, bringing over Chandler Jones is huge, and I think both of those moves are in direct response to the division that they're playing in and what's happening with Russell Wilson coming over to the Broncos. You know, you've got to face Patrick Mahomes. You've got to face Justin Herbert. So they were the first to kind of directly respond to the quarterback movement within the AFC West. And... Um, they haven't they haven't signed anybody in the secondary, correct? Uh, and they haven't really brought somebody in offensive line. And I think those those were two areas that I, I would have liked to see the Raiders beef up a bit. They traded for Rock Yassin in the Ngakwe trade, so that's going to help them in the defensive backfield, at least on the the, the front that's line. Right. Yassin is yeah, there. Some, You're right. They, they yeah, got some, they got some backups. Um, one more thing on. Devontae Adams, we had Jen Latta on who uh, does uh, ESPN National and does ESPN Milwaukee Morning Show, and she said, no, you know, it's not a guarantee this was the case, but she suggested that Adams just kind of got tired of the Aaron Rodgers grind. Like, as good as he is, being around the guy and in the off-seasons are just a grind. (laughs) You know, I mean, look, um, (laughs) you know, James Jones is one of my good friends, right? And he played with with Aaron Rodgers. He was my analyst at NFL Network. And he loves Aaron Rodgers, you know? And we all know Randall Cobb loves Aaron Rodgers. That's, you know, Aaron wanted him back as a security blanket. Um, so I guess if you ask different receivers, they have different interpretations of who Aaron Rodgers is. Again, from the outside looking, I've never caught a pass from him. I've never had to be with him every day. Uh, I've never had to work with him in the offseason. But I can imagine it gets a little tiresome because, let's face it, he is a diva. I think Barkley hit, hit it on the head when he said, He's like that pretty girl that you constantly need to remind her that she's pretty. She needs to constantly hear that, which is just another way of saying that he's high maintenance, right? And some people might get sick of that. And when when somebody like Devontae Adams, this is pretty of a girl, to give you a metaphor, you know, that doesn't need to be told that every day. 
maybe he didn't like that. I, I don't have the inside information as to whether he was tired. I can't confirm whether he's tired of the Aaron Rodgers drama, but we do know there's drama with Aaron Rodgers. We also know there's receivers that have come out full support of him and want to come back to play with him. Boy, oh boy. I don't have any segue from pretty girl to Deshaun Watson, <laughs> oh. so let's just go to it. Um, yeah. You just got to go. Uh, uh, you right. got to go. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Uh, let, let, let's talk yeah, about the yeah, situation okay. that the Browns, I'm going to say, have put themselves in. Listen, they wanted him. They had to pay a lot of money to get him. They have a great quarterback. He's got his issues off the field. They're unresolved. And, you know, we also you know, we, we heard a bite there from Kevin Stefanski talking about a Jacoby Brissett might have to be the, this, the guy for like four or six games. What do you make of this whole situation in the short term in uh, Browns land? Um, I think in the short term, Look at it from a football standpoint, for sure, it's a terrible business deal. Because if Stefanski believes that it's only going to be four to six games, then maybe he knows something we don't. But to think that it would be anything, a suspension would be anything less than six games, would be a catastrophe. It would be a pure nightmare for the NFL. Because precedent is everything, right? It's just like in law. Suspension precedent is everything. And Zeke was suspended for six games. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was suspended for six games, and there were no criminal charges there. And there, they did not have 22 open civil cases against them. So I would think six is the starting point. And you have to understand the NFL is under a lot of pressure to get this right because there's a feeling, I believe, within the league that the Browns didn't get it right. And they did make, make the league look bad. They made, made it tough for other owners. Right now, Steve Bashotti is, is pissed off because he hasn't signed Lamar Jackson, um, who has been out there playing, who is an MVP. Deshaun Watson hasn't been playing. Deshaun Watson's not an MVP. He gives him $230 million, the first guaranteed contract, the biggest contract in NFL history. So where does that leave the other owners? So I think the Browns kind of put themselves on an island. It's also a bad business decision. If you're paying $230 million and they put him on the commissioner exempt list while they're investigating. Maybe there's a suspension that follows. He could be out a year, the entire first year, and is it worth it then? I think the Browns were desperate, and the Browns did the most brown move they could, and it was an egregious, this is what my friend Judy Batista at NFL Media put it this way, um, it was an egregious act of winning at all costs with a disregard now, if we move to the non-football side, but the kind of social side and the PR side, um, I think people were upset because once that press release came out, the statement came out from the Browns that said that they did an extensive and exhaustive, um, you know, investigation or whatever wording that they used. I can't remember exactly what it was. They came out and said that, and it was to all the people that you know have a brain and have eyes and know what's going on. It's like. You just wanted to win at all costs, and you don't care about what those women say. That, that is what it is. So why are you patronizing us by putting a statement out that you care? That, so you're, you're dumb enough to give them a guaranteed contract for a guy that might not even be on the field, for a guy that may or may not be guilty of some pretty sick a- allegations. You, you were fine doing that, but you were aware enough that you had to make a PR move and put out a statement that looked even worse because – when the women's lawyers said nobody reached out to us from the Browns, nobody investigated, how can you say you did an exhaustive search? Just say we didn't give a crap. 
we had a chance to get a young quarterback in his prime. We don't care whether he did it or not. We're going forward. And that, that is what it is. Don't act like it's something different. I think that was even more of a slap in the face. You know, for I think not, not just women, but for people in general that are like, wait a minute, I, you know, if 22 people say something, that's smoke. We don't know if there's fire. I don't know if we'll ever know. But that, that's something. At least acknowledge it. Don't give the guy, you know, wait a little bit. <laughs> don't give the guy the guaranteed money ever in NFL history. But, I mean, Amber, we heard from Jimmy Haslam, he made very clear that his daughters had veto power over this. It was very obvious, right, that uh, his daughters said, I, I just, the, the whole ridiculousness of things that are said around this process are just <laughs> stunning, yeah, it, it, stunning. And again, it's like, it's almost like stop talking, right? You want to be like, just stop, just stop talking, because everything they say, every statement that comes out just looks worse and worse. It's like, just you did what you did. You clearly made the statement that you don't care what you did. So don't try to fool all of us. And the whole daughter thing when people say, like, I have daughters. Well, not all women have the same opinion on things. <laughs> just because you have daughters and just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I feel one side or the other. Just because they're women doesn't mean they feel one side. Of There's men that have opinions about this, strong opinions. You know, so the thought that you have daughters, that, that is the lamest yeah, like you said, the stuff that they say, it's, just, it's cringeworthy. That statement, for sure, was cringeworthy. Well, the flip side, of course, is that I don't remember anyone ever saying, you know what, I I have sons. I know what it's like. To, no, <laughs> you'd never hear that said. It's never, it's never yeah. said. I, but Amber, I have to use that to transition into something that I did want to ask you about because <laughs> we, we like to... We like to every now and then mine social media for for some interesting information. And I want to read your tweet from about a week ago. My son just ran into a sliding glass door, and now I'm going to hell because I laughed way too long and hard. But in my defense, his eyes literally crossed. I, bravo, Amber. Bravo. We need to normalize laughing at dumb things our children do. I... I... You know, I'm never going to win Mother of the Year unless I'm the one submitting my own candidacy. Uh, because <laughs> I, <laughs> the stuff, I, look, I grew up in a family, you know, a kid of the 80s, you know, Greek family, you know, but parents were like working class. Like they were just, they were just straight up about things. And I, I don't coddle my kids. I know he's going to be fine. He hit the sliding glass door. I know he was alive. He was moving and looking at me <laughs> with his cross eyes, but. Still, he was still breathing. And so I was like, I'm going to laugh for a good 10. I, I was crying. My husband's like, you're crying. I was like, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I love it. You know what we did? We didn't. We I, It must be something on my back door. We have, uh, you know, a, a screen door. And more kids in my neighborhood have gone through that damn screen door that we now just have holes in it where kids are busted. We don't even replace it because it costs too much money. They just keep bouncing into doors, and so we just, you know, it's cost-effective. Just leave it up there. Right. You know what? It, it, it's just life. You're just living life. It's just the scars of life. Life. Toughen, toughen them up. You know, they'll be fine. They hit one door, though. They're going to be fine. And I'm sure some people looked at that and said, oh, you should have checked him for a concussion. Or, he was fine. They're all right. <laughs> Amber, what are you? Uh, what are you of the year I moment. Well, we love it. Believe me, believe me, we love it. We we just sat here and laughed with you. Um, what is Westwood <laughs> One going to be doing for the draft? 
Um, so we'll be down there um, covering with a live coverage of the first round. So we are the first uh, first media outlet that gets to talk after the you know once they come off the stage. So NFL media gets them right off the stage, uh, well on the stage on the steps, and then right when they come off the steps, we're the first media outlet. So it's really great to get get the first rounders right in that moment. Um, and it's 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 really weird that. Maybe because, I don't know, maybe because I'm a mother, maybe I have that intuition. Like, you get to interact with these young men for the, for the first time in that moment, but you really get a good read in how they react. Um, you know, like, for example, last, last um, draft, last April, Michael Parsons, you know, you read so much, you hear so much. There was character questions at Penn State. People thought, you know, he would slide in the draft, and you're reading about all of this. So you kind of have this preconceived notion of, Maybe you know what he's like, or and and it usually a lot of times they prove you wrong, and he was one of them. He was the most impressive interview as far as like how much he appreciated where he was in that moment, and how he portrayed that he really knew he had to work hard. And I looked at my producer and I said, I don't care what people say about this guy. I think he's gonna have, like I think he's gonna be one of the best rookies. He could be rookie of the year. And my producer was like, Yeah, he needs to grow up. He's so you know, kind of yada yada. Look what he did. He went out and he was amazing. Now then somebody like Mac Jones came off the stage and literally in between the time that he came off the steps to when he came to me, Patriots PR got a hold of him. Like Stacy got a hold of him, right? <laughs> and it was like he turned into a Bill Belichick Patriot from the wow. from the time he left the stage to the time he got to me. He gave us nothing. He was like, I'm just happy to be here on to Cincinnati, like those answers. I said, wow, in five minutes, they transformed you to a Patriot. Wow. <laughs> that was that crazy. Is that so is incredible. Cause the, the, I was going to say the, the indelible image I have of Mac Jones is shirtless with a cigar, uh, you know, having fun, and then all of a sudden he's Mr. Patriot, like you said, in five minutes with the exactly. PR people. Exactly. It was amazing because you do all your research and you see all that, you know, and you're all ready for this, like, boisterous kind of life of the party kid, and he was so buttoned up. And so robotic. He was like Tom Brady Jr., you know, by the time that he got to us. And I was like, wow, that was, it, it was not a great interview. He was a nice kid, but it was like, don't give him anything. I was like, it's the draft. <laughs> Let him give us something. Let him be happy. Yeah. But that's the Patriot way. <laughs> Amber, you're awesome. Every one of these spots you do with us is uh, a lot of fun. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be listening to Westwood One, and hopefully we see you out here when you're in Vegas, okay? Thanks for having me on. Always appreciate it. Have a good night. There she is, Amber Thea Harris with the SiriusXM NFL Radio and also Westwood One and their NFL coverage. On the way out, more talk about those brownies. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Take your hand in there, Dave. Details still to be determined. Uh, UNLV Spring Football Showcase. I believe it's going down April 23rd. We'll try to find out uh, ASAP where it's going to be. I still think they're uh, deciding on that one. But spring practice open today, Candy. So uh, Marcus Arroyo and his uh, relatively new staff, he had to bring in a new OC in D.C., which we'll get to uh, when we get to talk to those guys a little later in camp. Um, Arroyo also has a big hole to fill at running back. Charles Williams is freaking awesome. And when you think about it, a program of the quality of UNLV, which hasn't won a ton of games over the years, they have they've had a run here of like seven years with a lead back. 
between Lexington Thomas and Charles Williams, and then Charles backing up Lex. And at one point, Lex was going to be the backup for Charles, but he got hurt. And they've had other guys, really good running backs in the mix. Well, Marcus Oreo talked today about, you know, the the incredible load that Charles Williams carried and the fact that, hey, you know what? These guys uh, who were left behind, left around, it's quite the competition now. We lost the, the large load there, obviously, with Charles. Um, you know, the largest largest value stock we had in, on offense, really, in that regard. Uh, experience, let alone how he did. And so, uh, between Sammy and Meg Yar and Javon and um, those guys who are in the backfield right now, all those guys know it's it is a it's an open state. It's, it's an open competition, and so they're going to be they're going to be as, as as graded and evolved each day as anybody else because we've got to make sure we've had in this offense in the past places we've been, we've always had a, a good running back. We've always had been we've always had been efficient. We've been productive at that role. And are you still looking on the transfer market for that position and others? Yeah, we are. We've got we've got several opportunities still left on the transfer market, um, which is good. We've played it that way. We've positioned ourselves to be, um, I think, in a, in a position where we can uh, evaluate right now and let things maturate at other places across the country and uh, be in position to, to still be in some free agency, which is really nice. I probably should have been a little more pointed with my question and just left it at running back. Because the way he answered at the end there is that they could be looking at lots of positions. The point is they didn't bring in a ton of recruits. Um, you know, in the first two waves of this stuff, they brought in 17 total. They can bring 20-plus. But I I would be surprised, Candy, if they don't bring another running back into the mix. The names he mentioned are Javon Wilson, who's a bigger back, who was a transfer from Oregon. He's a former three, borderline four-star guy. Chad Magyar has been around forever. Who's high, but, you know, he's, he's not going to be a 15-carry a, a game guy. And then smaller guys like Courtney Reese and Sammy Green. So... I think they need someone else in the competition. But keep in mind, when, whenever they get someone, it's going to be after the spring, and then that person is going to have to learn the offense pretty quickly. Quarterback is a competition. Running back is a competition. And look, it, it, it's hard to say what the ceiling is for this team right now because yeah. we really don't have any idea who's going to be playing yet. That has to be, the, but it has to be the case. When you win two games and you have six and you lose inside eight points, there's got to be more competition. You got to get better at every position. Was today National Brownie Day? Yeah, Ari. Yes. Wait, so Ari, Ari said that chocolate layer cake is overrated, but he loves brownies. Well, like I said, black forest cake is overrated. Oh, black forest. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just cherries. Brownies. Always going to eat it. No, it this, this cloud wants the edges. This cloud wants like well done brownies. Oh, no. yeah, of course, I'm actually very pro edge. This could be a debate.